Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Today, we welcome you back to the Butterfly Forecast. I like Welcome to another episode of the Butterfly Forecast. Today, Smushi and I are having a look at trends. Trends through her profession. She really is quite a creator and trailblazer of trends, and you'll get to hear all about where that comes from with her. And then I share trends that I get to observe as a medical intuitive with the populations that come to me. I sure hope that it percolates in you and makes you think of trends you've been observing. So happy you could join us. Smishy. Hi, Smishy. How are you today? I'm wonderful. It's been so wonderful visiting you in sunny California in the middle of February. It is something that changes everything, the way you feel, your mindset, your freedom to move. Mm -hmm. It's so incredible what sunshine does. We take for granted clean air and sunshine. Mm-hmm. Smishy, you are always sunshine. <laughs> Thanks, Smishy, as you are to me. <laughs> so, Smishy, today I was hoping that we can get into some things that you've used your eyeballs for over the course of your whole entire life, really. And I love how you see and notice trends and how you notice them over years and years and years of time. And Sometimes you'll share something with me that feels so deep and profound. And I'm like, how did she just, did you just notice that? And then I'll realize that it's something that you've actually been sort of like looking at for years. Like it could be 10, 15, even more years. And so I'm really interested in some of the trends that you've been looking at and mm. I think in our quest for world peace, one of the foundational things that I know we both believe needs to happen is the equality between the feminine and the masculine, between men and women, everything in between, just the equality between sexes. So I was wondering if we could talk about that today, about the trends that you've seen. Definitely. I'm happy to share some trends. You know, I collect them. <laughs> in my mind. And then I also write them in my own compilations so that I can keep track of them because that's what makes it constitute a trend, you know, for me, because since I've had the unique opportunity of working worldwide from the beginning of my work, it means I work with populations of people. Sometimes it'll just spread. All of a sudden, I'll be working with like a handful of people in a country or an island. And before long, I'm working with a large segment of the population because they're related to the other segments of the population. Right. And it, it seems to spread like that, a bit of a mushroom. And then that allows me to notice when the same ailment 
or the same psychological pattern or the same chemicals appear in people's bloodstream, I'll start to just jot it down like, huh, saw a new chemical today. I've never seen this in other countries before. Or I might say, wow, I haven't seen this for 15 years. And when I last noticed it, it was in a whole nother region. How did it get here? Or how did this pattern change? Or trauma patterns. And not just negative patterns, you know, dis-ease patterns, but also evolutionary patterns is what I'm looking for. I'm looking to see how we evolve. The only reason I can personally tolerate uh, disease is to get the privilege of seeing what supports this person to greater health. Yeah, because you're a true healer. One thing that you mentioned recently that was really fascinating to me was that whatever is on the inside of us immediately registers on the outside of us. Can you expound on that a little bit? Like, what does that actually mean? Like, if if I were to take on a belief on the inside of me, how would that show up physiologically on the outside mm. of me? Yeah, it's such a profound question, actually, although it's profound because we don't know it yet collectively. Mm. I don't think I'm the only one who notices this, but I notice when I give language to it, it certainly makes people challenged, you know, it percolates so that they have to go, wait a minute, what does that look like in me? Right. But I've never had a person when I share this, challenge it, its validity, only in that they're like, wait, I want to know that. Yeah. And it has to do with the fact that if we look at starting from the feminine, for example, although it does apply to us as a species, you know, the masculine, the carriers of the masculine here in male bodies and the carriers of the feminine in female bodies to begin with are both sacred and equal. And the difference between them is so negligible it's not really worth mentioning, except that because we haven't been equal. That's why we have to start talking about the various gifts we bear and how we balance the species and how we are both necessary. And so starting from the concept of might equals right is really why the feminine has never been given its due acknowledgement and power in society alongside of the masculine. And the feminine has, as a result of might equals right, had this superimposing of what the masculine has said is truth. Mm. So truth in general, and therefore truth for itself, the feminine, although it was never observed or duly evaluated. Even, for example, in Western medicine, some surgeons who, uh, when I was in kinesiology school, informed me that in the studies of our physiology and uh, pharmaceutical medicine, all of our formulas, all of our established research is initially founded on masculine physiology. Mm. So we really haven't studied the feminine in its physical. Wow. Is that because doctors or medicine didn't think that there's a difference between our physiologies or just because they 
just didn't discounted. I think that we were just entirely discounted mm-hmm. and, and it was assumed that if it works for the masculine, it'll work for the feminine. And, you know, even scientifically, we do everything still today, even in looking at clinical nutrition, we divide everything up into grams. You know, how many grams of protein do you need? It's according to your body weight. But Although we do talk about different metabolisms, we haven't still understood why. Mm. Why would it be different for the feminine or the masculine at the very same age, the very same cycle in life? Why? Why would it be different? Because we have different chemistries. We have mm. different, entirely different chemistries, the feminine functions and cycles. If we haven't factored that in to actually the equation, then we don't even understand that the earth itself functions in cycles. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, if we put that in, uh, we would have a different look at what, well, one, allopathic medicine would be, you know, we would start to redesign it to accommodate half our population. What is allopathic medicine? Western medicine. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. The science of medicine according to what has been established in uh, empirical science. Mm. But empirical science itself is relative. Mm-hmm. Everything is relative until we learn more. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we always need to remember we have to have a humble posture with even all our incredible learnings and sharings. It's truth for now until we understand greater truth. Well, yeah, because we're constantly changing and the environment around us is constantly changing. So Exactly. So to your original question, you and I have been sharing for a long time and in this podcast been sharing with our viewers and listeners these concepts, which is about that the essence of us, what people call spiritual, we could all agree upon that the essence of us is abstract. Mm -hmm. Like that's a really lovely, safe place to be having a unified vision. Nobody can say what that is. Mm -hmm. So if we understand that the inside of our process within each person is a consciousness and a consciousness of our reality. Now, the feminine has been externally referenced from the beginning. So externally referenced means the masculine is taught to assess truth for itself and therefore justice according to itself. The feminine according to the masculine. Right. So not to itself and its infinite abstract reality, the part that goes with us forever, the part that we, regardless of what we've been through with disease or accidents or traumas, aging, the changes of life, We evolve, and what evolves is the abstract parts of us. So whether we attribute that to being learned and, you know, educated from a formal stance, yes. And of course, that does add to our evolution. But whether that education is also abstract or whether we were taught by behavior or example, or experience. There's so many kinds of education here. Wait, so if the feminine through time has always been externally referenced, then how do we individually and collectively retrain or rewire, wake up to that and start to find our own truth from within rather than looking for it 
outside of ourselves? Mm, that's such a good question. Well, I think one is understanding what the repercussions are. Mm-hmm. I don't think as of yet we've understood how important it is to our species that the feminine is equally empowered. Right. If the feminine isn't equally empowered and we are the bringers of the next generation through children. So let's just say worldwide, you know, here in the US, we're very intellectual about choosing a mate and when we mate and if we mate and if we bring someone into this world. So we're actually a lot older than the rest of the planet. Mm. Most people start family building at a very young age. So generationally, we don't understand how important the feminine is. We are the first educators, by example, Mm -hmm. by what we, our orientation even to child rearing. And all the knowledge we bring to that Mm -hmm. is something they pick up. So it that equality, if we understood we're building a species of human resources to create a collective society on the planet that prospers, you know, that explores unknowns, we would be so much further along. But part of the ways that I think we can wake up is when we acknowledge the repercussions of what happens when we don't. Right. And so that's what we were talking about the yeah. other day on another platform. We were talking about I was sharing the trend that whatever we hold to be true on the inside manifests in our physiology. So whatever is inside is outside simultaneously. Think of it like an invisible arena where it shows up in a concrete way right away. So depending on people's constitutions, it's going to manifest entirely different and uniquely. And so, so for someone, it could be like a bump. For others, it could be a rash or hmm? it could be breaking out. Well, that's where the trend part, though, becomes so interesting. Yes. So according to our individual genetics, we get exploited in unique ways. Right. Because you were talking about having a vacancy. Yes. So can you talk about that? Well, the danger of a population on our planet, which is the feminine, which has inherited a history of being vacant internally, that means we haven't activated our T-cells to the degree they're supposed to, to protect the body from all kinds of intruders, including cancer, like division of cells, irregular cell structures, which is interesting because, of course, we've introduced a lot of pollutants into today's world, you know, water, air, food, land. We really haven't created a very safe environment, Mm -hmm. which makes us as a species very susceptible to cancers, plural, you know, where cancer is simply a cell that's not obedient to its purpose and it's easily influenced by others. Mm -hmm. Look at our collective society's behavior politically and in media. We are extremely susceptible to other people's views, very overly concerned with what others think of us. Mm -hmm. And that breeds an unhealthy environment. It destabilizes our constitution by and large. Mm -hmm. We have to be internally referenced, all of us, whatever age you are. When we have children who are young, we have to start teaching them to like ask them questions. How do you feel now? And how did that make you feel? And how do you think your behavior caused someone else to feel? So we immediately start to get in touch with 
what I think of as our blueprint, our, our design. Well, yeah, also you have an awareness of yourself. I mean, the more somebody asks you those questions, the more you have to be like, hmm, you know, and go in and really try to find the answer to that. Like, how do I feel now? Wait, did my feeling just change from a couple minutes ago to now? Like, what happened? And what's my belief about that? Right. You know, we have to get very comfortable asking ourselves abstract questions because that allows us to ask each other the most important questions of our life. Because if we have been externally referenced and we don't know how to go in and ask our own selves those questions, and you call it like a vacancy, if we have some kind of vacancy because, or, or really it's like a vulnerability, are those two words interchangeable, you think? Like something that, or no? I think they're each unique, like the definition. Vacancy is really such a, a very extreme state. Yeah, like vacant, vacant. Empty. Yeah. You have nothing in you. Jeez. That's terrifying. But what it really means is, of course, there is no such thing as nothing. So what you are doing is evoking the externally referenced reality. You are living somebody else's truth. Wow. And it's not even true. And right. it's not reality. And it's not based on collective reality. It's just someone's perception. So, in, so instead of putting your own belief in there about your own or your own knowing in there, it's not even a belief about how, what you feel or how you feel. You're allowing somebody else's knowing that that's not yours. Yeah. In there. I mean, Smishy, have you ever experienced that in life? Oh, yeah. Can you long. give a concrete example of what that looked like? And did you have any awareness of what happened to you physically afterwards? Have I ever experienced holding somebody else's belief? As your own. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what parents are for, right? <laughs> Until we decide, oh, wow, maybe that's not true. Yeah, totally. I never realized, of course, you mourn when you're a if a parent dies. And I've spoken to no end about my dad passing when I was 10. But I think that there were a lot of beliefs, especially because he passed at the age I was, that just kind of crystallized at that time for me and that I, I've held until now, a lot of which I probably still I'm, I'm not even aware of, but I'm trying to think of a specific one. Or friends, like, you know, when you're at certain stages and your friends tell you it's true mm -hmm. and you go, oh, okay. That's true. Oh, I'll tr I'll be that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I did that on such a surface way, like with fashion. And what did that look like? So when people were like there was a fashion trend. Right. Like it was cool to be a certain way. And I think that, you know, I just wanted to be cool. So I would wear the things that I thought were cool. But it was very short lived because I had my own ideas of what I thought were cool. And so I started to put things together in a different way. And I remember sort of going against the grain and then having a little a little voice in me that was like, oh, wait, you set the trends. You don't follow them. And that's what would happen. I would usually be the one where I'd get, a, I'd get in my head something that I wanted, like pedal pushers or three-quarter length pants or whatever, or like a Nautica jacket or, 
and I wanted to pair it in this way or that way and I would get it and nobody would be on it. And then soon after, like a month later, then everybody would be looking for that same thing. Wow. Um, so I'd get confirmation about it. But for the things that I don't get confirmation about, it's more difficult. What about things that you adopted as your truth without first investigating if it works for you? Oh, well, I've, I think I've adopted, speaking of the feminine, I think that I've adopted so many things about what a woman should be like, you know, how you shouldn't be too loud, you shouldn't inconvenience anybody, especially the masculine. Like you don't want to stir the pot ever. You just kind of want to be agreeable all the time mm. and not inconvenience anybody. It was like always a thing to be too loud or too successful or too anything too much. Like I could never, I remember I would um, street race cars in high school and I had- Say that again, sushi slower so everybody <laughs> can hear that. Say that one more time. I did. I used to race cars in high school and I had a Supra, a Toyota Supra, and it was the nicest car. And this was before Fast and Furious because when that movie first came out, it really put that car on the map, you know, from a, a larger cultural standpoint. But I had one and I constantly remember feeling a way about having it, you know, like the guys would look at me and they placed me in a certain category because of it. Like I was just unruly. Either meant I had to be one of the boys. Like I couldn't still be a girl and have a car like that. And that really annoyed me because I, I was, I am both. You know, I'm very feminine and I have sides of me that are masculine. Or that are strong and that have been identified as masculine yes. more than, whereas they're just feminine power. Yes. There is a lot of things about the feminine that I have inherited, even to this day, that still feel against the grain, even though they're supposed to feel natural. You know, it's just me. But it feels against the grain to be too whatever. And that sucks because you just want to be free. Mm -hmm. And so in those days when somebody would project something onto you, like how cool you are because you have that car, the way you drove, what happened to you physically? Could you identify like any tension in your body if you remember those days? I don't remember, but I'm sure it caused tension. And I'm sure it caused me to coil in, you know, versus like be out. Mm -hmm. It caused me to be a lot more protective over who I was with, what I shared, how out there I was. I think I tried to be more stealthy for sure and sort of like invisibly just be myself versus be out there. Yeah, it's, it's just so fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we have to learn to quest for truth. We have to learn to embody each other, ourselves first, by, you know, if you're not feeling the authenticity of the moment inside, whether it's in a conversation or an exchange with your closest people, mm -hmm. you have to figure out how not to give yourself away. So if there is no room for you, it's really okay to be complete in yourself and not have an exchange at this moment. doesn't mean forever. 
Yeah. But it does allow you to hold the container of both your body and that internal realm. And also, you know, it's time we start questing for what we do believe. I think we've gone as far as we can go collectively remaining ambiguous. It's fine to say I don't know, but then the next step must be taken. It's not okay to not be interested in truth. <laughs> yeah. And it's not okay to imitate other people's truth. Mm. So that's usually what happens in any kind of collective mindset, whether it's political or even sports. You know, at soccer games, when people get trampled pre-COVID, <laughs> but, you know, when they get trampled, why? Yeah. Why would that be? Like, what do you mean you can't be mindful about where your body is, where you're walking? Yeah. So I think we just need to start generating a way of speaking, a manner that has to do with the intention of searching and investigating always for simple truth in the moment. Yeah. And if you don't know it, that's okay too, but still be in the quest, don't you think? Totally. And also putting yourself in the right environments that support that. Because I feel like that's everything. I mean, you said something, it's not about self-care, it's about self-reflection to get to know self-knowing. Mm -hmm. And going to the places like, where do you feel reflected? Like truly, you know, like around who do you feel like your true reality, your true essence of you is reflected as opposed to projected? And so many of us have never been reflected, so we right. don't know what it feels like yet. Well, but what's interesting is that we've had so many conversations with other people too, you and I, over the last week or two about how so many people feel reflected by animals yes. or by nature. Yes. And that was that's astounding to me. I never really thought of it that way, mm. but I think that's really cool that you don't have to, because finding people especially your people, can take a while or can be difficult. But I also want to say, for me, I realize that sometimes I'm so surprised by somebody that doesn't get me at all. But then in a moment when I really need it, it's as if like something inhabited them for that moment magically. And they saw me so perfectly in just the way that I needed for that time. Yes. And I think that that's also, there's some magic or mystery to that because maybe some people can't see us all the time or can't reflect back to us. But I feel like we always have to be open to like those moments where we can receive it from anyone or anywhere. Yeah, I think that's so true. In fact, I love that more than anything because that's the dynamic that allows us to yet again remember that we all get along. We're designed to get along. But not all to, the time. Not all the time. People that you don't normally think would be your greatest hero might be. Mm. And it might come from an unknown source. You know, Sushi, that reminds me of an extraordinary thing that happened. When I was in high school, I really wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And they were very, very, very strict. And one night, evidently, my friend from dance had convinced my parents that she would take care of me and take me to this party and it was going to be perfectly 
<laughs> you know, uh, acceptable, what their standards were. Anyways, we go to this party. She doesn't know anybody there. Everybody is much older than us. And there is so much shady stuff going down. And I have no idea where we are. We're really far from home. And I don't know the neighborhood. I don't, there's no public transportation nearby. And this guy was being really aggressive with me. And several times was really trying to have me. And I went to find my friend. She had started drinking and she completely was checked out. So I didn't know anybody else there. And I didn't know where I was. I wasn't going to call my parents. I didn't want to worry them. You know how it is when you're a teenager. It seems like the worst decision is to call them. And I literally didn't know who to call. And so I just sat for a moment. I went outside. I just looked at the stars. And I was like, you're going to have to guide me because I don't belong here. It's time for me to go. And if I have to walk and just find my way, I will. And this boy that I went to elementary school with, who is always in trouble. I think he'd been to juvie like I can't count mm -hmm. how many times. His name came to my mind. So I called him like on a whim when I had never been friends with him. I called. He answered on the first ring. And he goes, Julie, what's wrong? Where are you right now? And I just said, hey, I'm just at a place that I really don't feel safe in. He's like, I'll find you. You just go to a main street. I'm getting on my motorcycle right now. I'm picking you up. Wow. And it was like 1 a.m. Yeah. And he didn't know me. And I'll never forget that because I thought, wow, he was attuned. Yeah. He was right there. And when he picked me well, up. Well, and so were you. But what I'll tell you, if I dial all the way back to elementary school, when you're not supposed to be intelligent and you're not supposed to have your consciousness, every time I heard about him, like being asked to leave school again. Wait, you were in elementary school? With him. And he had a motorcycle? No, no, no. This happened later in high school. Oh, okay. But I met him only <laughs> oh, in, in elementary, elementary school. school. I didn't know him in high school. I was like, wait, what? And yeah, that would have been interesting. <laughs> and um, but I remember in elementary school, every time he was punished by asking, you know, to leave school, I remember thinking this thought, but he's so good. He's so deep. Why don't the teachers see who he really is? Mm. I never thought of him as trouble. Yeah. So isn't that interesting? Whereas I went to a party where everybody was supposed to be the who's who, and right. they were nothing but trouble for me. Right. So it's not a judgment. It's about where you are designed. Yeah. And everything is relative all the time. Yes. Totally. Well, after that thing happened, he and I stayed in touch. And he actually grew into the most extraordinary person, like very self-actualized, really found his thing in life, got married, had children. It's really amazing what can happen when a person finds their inner reality. Mm. And when he picked me up, that's what he told me he'd been doing. Mm. He'd been going on quests in nature alone. Wow. So I love that. I love that we don't know who anyone is until we quest for it. We don't know who we are. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Sushi, I have a question for you. Sure. What makes you think about like trends? I know your work is so very much about like some people are trailblazers, which as you know, I'm not saying this in an egoic way 
to boost your ego, but I really think you are by nature a trendsetter, meaning I think you have a sense of what we would do well with next. Don't you think that's part of you? Yeah. Yeah. It's such an exciting thing that you make something surface, like a design or a garment or a concept or a time to understand a social justice that could be woven together mm-hmm. when it's timely. Yeah. Because maybe if you'd released that same idea 10 years ago, it would not have flown. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that, why you quest for that, why you're interested in that? Like, does it evoke something in you if you see it out in the world? Or does it evoke something in you when it comes through you, that excitement to be the vessel for it? Both. Mm. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's kind of like being a weather forecaster in a sense. Like, there's something about me that knows something is coming. And then I just want to prepare people for it, prepare myself for it, really. And this is when I'm tuned in to myself, right? Because there have been times where I haven't been and I don't see things properly. But if I'm on top of my P's and Q's, so to speak, I, I, and I'm really in myself, then I think that I tune into that thing. Like, I don't know, like six years ago or seven years ago, I started to become really, really interested in women's liberation movements throughout time. And I didn't really know a lot about them. And I started reading about them and researching them and, you know, researching like everything about them and seeing all these images and the stages that I, that they had evolved through. And I was like, I need to bring this back. We've forgotten about this. I've forgotten about it. So I knew that if I had forgotten about it, then maybe there was more. And then it was really interesting for the first three or four years that I was making stuff using those emblems and logos and bringing back some of those phrases like women of the world unite. You know, people were kind of like, oh, what's this? Oh, this is cool. Or, oh, you know, whatever. And then... You know, three years later, we had our biggest women's march to date in history. And all of a sudden, there was this whole new movement that happened. And then, of course, there's just been like a ton of other movements that happened. It was the same with with racial stuff, you know. But it was kind of perfect because I felt like a lot of other brands and people were sort of reactive to it. They're like, oh, we got to hop on the bandwagon and show that we are conscious too. And for me, it was really cool because I was like, but this is something that, well, I knew that was was about to resurface and, and I knew, didn't know. For me, it was like, no, this is something that should be woven into everything that we do, not just a trend. It's not a trend. It's a... It's an awareness that I was trying to bring to people. Yeah, that is part of our necessary evolution. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, it's not like you have an agenda that people yes. get this or say this or climb on your bandwagon. Yeah, or even buy this. Like, yes. I don't care if you bought something or not. Yes. It was more of, of bringing an awareness of mm. this is what we should be thinking about speaking of women's liberation movements there have been so many stages 
you know, like first it was only white women, like why? And then it was like a second wave and a third wave. And I felt like we're kind of going into a new wave. And what does that look like for us this time? You know, how are we not going to repeat history because the other things that we've tried haven't worked. So what's going to work this time? So I think I was trying to find the questions for myself. Like, what are those questions we can ask ourselves individually and then and then ask them collectively so that people could think about that and it could be part of our awareness, our new awareness of so we're not caught off guard and so that there could be more of a critical mass around it, like more people involved versus like, just little individual percolations. Yeah, I love that. Whatever it takes, right? I mean, you know, going full circle to this concept that, yes, the feminine and its orientation to life has been externally referenced, but it doesn't mean that the masculine hasn't equally been externally referenced of what it needs to maintain as a power structure, as a byline, as a theme of its life, as its purpose of where its value comes from mm -hmm. uh, by other males yes, who keep perpetrating these same myths. It What it has to happen is a quest to break the code mm -hmm. so that we see truth for what it is, which is why I'm constantly quoting the matrix because I just love the analogy. We have to start to see mm -hmm. what is code and what is reality. No matter how harsh our reality is, no matter how devolved we truly are, let's take a look together so we can start building. Yeah. And I love what you are saying, but I also think there's no harm in starting from an external position and working your way in. I feel sure that if we take care of ourselves or act honorably, act according to a belief system and a code that has been effective, you know, for the collective. Effective, like not the dogma of religion, but the spiritual reality, mm -hmm. the practice of religion. They all teach exactly the same spiritual reality. Well, why don't we take a hint over thousands and thousands of years that it doesn't matter what door you enter as long as you start to quest for truth. Yeah. And if you start on your own, that's fine too. But then also use something that is like the law of gravity, the laws of nature. Let's look at them and see how it applies. Yeah. I love that. And then lead us to the abstract. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I love that I can, um, if I can bring up that you shared was that you said the moment we feel reflected as something true, like the moment we receive a true reflection, it boosts our T cells and our antibodies. So we immediately function as though we are training our physical body to be stronger yes. down the line. Yes. And I love making those correlations personally between feelings and emotions and like in our physical bodies. I think that's so important to know. Mm. You know, as you know, I've been telling you all about this book that I've been reading recently by Glennon Doyle, but there is this part in it where she was saying something and I felt so reflected by it. Yes. And then I felt so cool knowing that even a book you know, reflecting back to me my reality, like me resonating with that 
could in some way boost my immune system or like boost my body in a way. I love that. That for me personally inspires me to look for those things in the outside world so that it could reflect in my inside world. So it's not just, I think it works both ways. So if we have beliefs, they show on us physiologically, but I think also if we receive it externally, it also manifests internally. Yes, but also isn't that another powerful um, reminder about how we should be when we're in the presence of a human being. Mm. We need to see people for what they are instead of what they are not. Yeah. So no matter how much they are lacking, we need to observe what they are and respect that there isn't more to be had right now. Yeah, but it's like we were just talking about how you can only meet somebody as far as they are in themselves. Yes. So also being really honest with yourself, like knowing not to expect more from what somebody is able to give you. Yes. Just because they haven't gone deep enough in themselves yet. Exactly. But it's also, it gives you less stress mm -hmm. to identify that it's okay on both ends. Yeah. You know, I may not be a horse whisperer, but I can love horses. Yeah. But if I run into a wild horse that is not ready, yeah. you know, to join up, well then, mm -hmm. I'll just admire its beauty from afar. Yeah. But I'm still believing in it. We are still connected. The atoms still connect that horse and me. Mm -hmm. We're not separated. Yeah. We d I just can't ride it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love I love talking about trends. I could do it all day long, as you know. And in me fact, when we're together, smushy, I do. Me too, Smushy. Me too. I think it's so cool because they they are the thing that connects us in a lot of ways. Like we're all. Yes. I feel like these trends are things that we're all going through. We just don't understand sometimes how we fit into the trend. Mm. Like how is this personalized to me? But. I feel like the more we talk about it and the more questions we ask, the more we can each individually see ourselves in those trends. Yes. And that's so cool because it also connects us. Like these are some of the ways in which we're all subject to something that's happening outside of us. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, when I'm looking at trends, when I'm observing, I do notice that some things are categorized in past and some in the present and some in the future, but some are not on any kind of demarcation of time. Mm. They've always been and they're still, and it looks like they will be here. Wow. And so those are also things to respect and to, to understand like, huh, we're not going to, until we all look at this, this trend will be here. Right. And I think it's important for that to also sort of unpack over time. The more we start to see ourselves as in the collective, I think a lot of this stuff will start to evolve. Mm. And if we always get stuck with my group, you know, right. then we are going to divide and then fail to see the trend. Right. So I look forward to the day when we all can at least say one thing. We yeah. and know that that's what we mean. Yeah. Mm. Love it. Smushy, thank you. Smushy, thank you. It's so 
delightful mm. to engage in conversations about the reality underneath the surface of what looks like life with you. I mean, it's such a privilege to be able to speak to somebody like you who has this gift that you're so generous with and all these observations and research really that you've done over so many years of time. And then I know that you just share it like it's this small thing, but it's so big. It's like years and years and years of research that you so generously share Thanks, with us. Mishy so Angel. thank you so much for giving us that gift. It's really really special. And thank you, Smushi. You do the same. Smushi, don't try to do this. <laughs> it's it's all about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about we. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>